Hey everyone, welcome to What in the Bible? Today we're going to be in Numbers 22. I have to admit, it's a little bit of a long read, but it's fascinating. It's about Balaam and his donkey. So, and today we're going to have some archaeology into it, so I'm excited. Alright, let's get going. Numbers 22, starting with verse 1. Then the Israelites moved on and encamped in the plains of Moab. So already at the beginning, we need to pause. Then. What? You never start a new story with then. So the Bible was not originally written in chapters and verses. We got that around the 12th century from a nice monk who was like, hey, we need to be able to find things in the Bible. So I'm just going to divide them into chapters and verses, which sounds nice. But then when you just jump into random reading and you're like, then the Israelites moved on, you're like, where are we moving on from? So the backstory is this is the time that the Israelites are wandering around them in the desert for the 40 years. Okay, so they're in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan opposite of Jericho. So um, the plains of Moab's the lowlands that are northeast of the Dead Sea, and this is between Jordan and the foothills um, below Mount Nebo. Okay, verse 2. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel did to the Amorites. So if you didn't read before, you don't know that the Israelites kicked their rear. And Moab feared the Israelites greatly because they were numerous. Moab was in dread of the Israelites. I always love this about the Bible. Like it reiterates it. It like says it twice with like a, a bigger synonym though, right? But it's really driving it home. Like this dude is afraid. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will devour everything around us as an ox devours the grass of the field. At that time, Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab, and he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pithor on the river in the land of the Amorites, to summon him with these words, A people has come out of Egypt. They have covered up the earth, and they are settling down opposite me. Now, come, curse this people for me, since they are stronger than I am. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, themselves experts in divination, left and went to Balaam, to whom they gave Balak's message. He said to them, Stay here tonight, and I will give you the answer, or whatever answer the Lord gives me. So the princes of Moab lodged with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's just stop right here for, for one second. Because that seems weird, right? If you didn't quite catch what's going on, so the king of Moab is like peeing his pants, afraid of this large group of people who have shown up on his doorstep. And because everywhere they show up, people, they fight the people, they take their land, they, they, they take their goods. It's a mess, right? So he calls together the, the elders, right? So the important people. And like his counselors, and he's like, hey, we need to go get somebody who will curse these guys because we can't beat them. They're, they're, they're too many. So you need to go to Balaam, who obviously is very famous and has a good track record because part of the speech is, hey, whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. So Balaam has a track record. And these guys who are going to talk to Balaam are also, they also practice divination. That means basically witchcraft right? So the, they're trying to see into the future and they get paid for it. They get paid to give you a prophetic word. That's really what's going on right here. Or to bless you or to curse you. 
Okay? So they go to Balaam, and Balaam's like, okay, cool. Stay the night. I'm going to pray, and I'll see what God tells me. And normally when we think about that, at least I would, I'd be like, okay, so to me, since this is witchcraft, he's tapping into the demonic. This isn't cool. No, he, he and God are having a conversation. And so that that will mess with your your theology a bit there. But when we see in the New Testament, it talks about how gifts are with, without void. Like God will give you a gift for your life. What, how you use it and what you use it, whether for good or for evil, how you tap into the supernatural, that's on you, right? They're, they're, with, they're without re- repentance. So Balaam has a gift, a prophecy, and he knows that he, he can't do it without God. So um, he said, Balaam says, stay here tonight. I'll see what the Lord God says. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men who are with you? I always love this about God. Like he gives you an opportunity to tell your story. He, he's God. He knows what's going on. And um, Balaam answered God, Well, Balak, son of Zipporah, king of Moab, sent this message to me. This people that has come out of Egypt have covered up the earth. Now come lay a curse on them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight and drive them out. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them and do not curse this people, for they are blessed. So the next morning, Balaam arose and told the princes of Balak, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, um, Bible commentators point out right here, like, <laughs> he wasn't quite, like, it's true. God said, don't go. But he didn't tell him, hey, um, God is not going to allow me to, um, to curse these people. They are blessed. Like, don't touch them, anything like that. Um. So the princes of Moab went back to Balak with a report. Balaam refused to come with us. Balak yet again sent princes who were more numerous and more distinguished than others. On coming to Balaam, they said to him, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, Please do not refuse to come to me. I will reward you handsomely and will do anything you ask of me. Come, lay a curse on the people for me. Okay, so... Um, many commentators say that part of the reason that Balak, or I'm sorry, Balaam didn't tell Balak that they're cursed is because he was trying to get this, like it was a negotiation, like, no, God said, I can't, knowing that he would send more people and more riches and type of thing. So it's part of the negotiation. So, but Balaam replied to Balak's servants, even if Balak gave me his house full of silver and gold. I could not do anything small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord, my God. Once again, my God. Like, how does this work, right? We only think about the Israelites having relationship with the God that we know, like the God of Israel. But he obviously has some sort of relationship with him. But you too here, stay here tonight so that I may learn what else the Lord may say to me. That night, God came to Balaam and said to him, If these men have come to summon you, go back with them, yet only on the condition that you do exactly as I tell you. So the next morning, when Balaam arose, he saddled his donkey and went off with the princes of Moab. Now, verse 22. But now God's anger flared up at him. Whoa, wait, what? Why is God mad? He just told him to go. 
Like, what in the world? What in the Bible, right? Why is God mad? So, I've read some commentaries on this. I'll tell you what they say, and I'll tell you what I think. And then you can have your own opinion. So many commentators say, um, people with a negative perspective of God will say this shows that God is fickle, that he's trying to um, trip up people, that he doesn't have their best intentions. Um, other people read it as when we go to verse 20, if these men have come to summon you, that he's saying like in the morning, if they come and tell you again, like, hey, let's go, then you can go with them. But it but that he went without them. So obviously he just went and did it. Okay. Um, the other ones is that um, God knew that Balaam wanted the riches and everything and was like, fine, go. And there is scripture to support that type of God will finally um, lend you over to the desires and lusts of your heart, right? Like if your heart has become so hardened. But the way the commentaries make it sound is more like a, like when a woman says, fine, or a woman says, yeah, do whatever you want. Now, most people know that means abort mission, abort mission, right? I think that God knows Balaam's heart. And if it's true that these like are about negotiations, but I think that Balaam is trying to pull a fast one on both the king and he thinks on God because he doesn't tell the king that he can't curse them, right, at the very beginning. So, But when they come the, the second time, he still doesn't say, I can't curse, curse them. He just says, I can't do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, right? And so I think that Balaam is thinking, I'm just going to go and I'll see what I can do to try to make the king happy and try to get my money Maybe, maybe I can pretend to curse them or something like that. Okay? That's my personal opinion, is that God knows his heart. And, like, even though he's like, well, God said I can go, God already knows that he is not wanting to do the second half. Like, only if you obey what I told you. Okay. So, verse 22. Now, God's anger flared up at him for going. And the angel of the Lord took up a position on the road as his adversary. As Balaam was riding along on his donkey, accompanied by his two servants, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with sword drawn. The donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam beat the donkey to bring her back on the road. Oh, dude. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow lane between vineyards with a stone wall on each side. So now he's like boxing him in, right? When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed against the wall, and since she squeezed Balaam's leg against the wall, he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord again went ahead and stood next in a passage so that the, in a passage so narrow that there was no room to move either on the right or the left. Alright, so he gave him like so the idea is the angel comes and he just stands in the road. The donkey's like, I'm out of here. And goes to the field. Balaam's like, ah, beats his donkey gets them back on the road, so they go a bit more. So the angel goes where the road is more enclosed, but there's walls on either side, and the donkey's so afraid, right? And he's trying to get away, but he can't because there's a wall there, so he's crushing Balaam. So Balaam's beating him again. So third time, angel has, like, completely boxed him in. So what, verse 27, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord there, she lay down under Balaam. 
Balaam's anger flared up, and he beat the donkey with his stick. Right? Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, she asked Balaam, What have I done to you that you beat me these three times? Balaam, You have acted willfully against me, said Balaam to the donkey. Let's just pause right here, because this is a definitely what in the Bible moment, right? Balaam doesn't stop him and is like, whoa, my donkey's talking. Like, maybe I should pay attention here. No, Balaam is so upset that it, this is my take on it. He's so upset that even this miracle of the donkey talking to him is like, oh, I'm so upset. But I think that he is so upset because he knows what he is doing is wrong, right? He's that mad. Do you ever have that happen in your life where you have like a something go, not going right, going wrong. It's you're doing something wrong, but you're trying to keep it hidden. You're trying to keep it on the down low. And so little things are setting you off, right? Every, every traffic jam is, ah, like you have to like explode at the traffic jam. You drop something. You're like, it's the end of the world. And that's because your spirit and soul is so quenched and it's like coming out of your pores, literally. But yeah, I love the fact that Balaam does not even be like, uh, why are you talking? All right. So, all right, back to verse 29. Let's read it a little bit again. So you have acted so willfully against me, said Balaam to the donkey, that if I only had a sword at hand, I would kill you here and now. And... The irony of this, right? Because Balaam is going to try to act willfully against God. We've pretty much decided. And there is an angel standing with a sword in his hand. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have always ridden until now? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way before? No, says Balaam. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes so that he saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with sword drawn, and he knelt and bowed down to the ground. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I love it. Like, this is the first thing that he addresses. Like, dude, you're a jerk. And in fact, like in the commentaries, um, because ba Balaam is not known to be a righteous man, right? He is, no, But he's not a false prophet. He's an evil prophet because he does get words from the Lord. But he's an evil prophet because he's not righteous. He's not, he's doing it for money. He's doing it for manipulation, right? Um, which are, which are versions of witchcraft, right? But he, he's known as not being righteous. And the thing that the commentators always point out is he beat his donkey. Not a righteous man would never beat his donkey. I think it's like our version today of the dude kicks his dog. Right? Like, you don't do that. Like, what kind of, ah, no. So, all right. So verse 32, but the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come as an adversary because this rash journey of yours is against my will. Pause. The angel of the Lord against my will. Whoa. So many people believe that when it says the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that it's um, Jesus, that it's God appearing like in in this form, like so. And you'll find it, um, you find it with Gideon, um, you find it with Abraham, 
and with um so it says the angel of the lord but it's like and then he says things like my will and so and an angel doesn't have like he's not giving a will like that so so it's interesting commentary on that all right when the Verse 33, when the donkey saw me, she turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, you are the one I would have killed, though I would have spared her. <laughs> I love it. God's like, you're a jerk. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, yet I did not know that you took up a position to oppose my journey. Since it has displeased you, I will go back home. All right, so Balaam's like, let me just back out of this. You're right. I'm wrong. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. But you may say only what I tell you. See, and this is right here why I think that God knew Balaam's heart. Because he knew Balaam was going to go. And he was like, okay, yeah, you can go, but only do what I tell you. And Balaam's like, God said I can go. And you didn't tell them that you can, you can, only, you, you can only bless them, right? And God, once again, you can only say what I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Verse 36. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at Ar Moab on the border formed by the Arnon, as it is the most distant point. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send an urgent summons to you? Why did you not come to me? Did you think I could not reward you? Balaam answered Balak, Well, I have come to you after all. But what power have I to say anything? I can speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kerah-Huzoth, where Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent portions to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. The first oracle. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up on Bamath Baal, and from there he could see some of the people. Okay, so that's the end of Numbers 22. If you want to know what happens, you have to read Numbers 23. Or you can even listen to it. Like the Bible app, it lets you listen to it. But, oh my goodness, right? Like, donkeys just being like, hey, why are you hitting me, jerk face? Right? Like, I, I'm actually saving your rear. And God's like, yeah, I would have killed you, but the donkey, she's, she's cool. I just love things about, like that. Okay, so here's the cool archaeological proof of that. Because many times with biblical characters, um, unless it's like a famous Assyrian king or Babylonian king, they're like, oh, that's not a real character or that's just a made-up story. Okay, so it's always fun when we find archaeological proof of it. And the proof is what's called the Balaam inscriptions or the Tel Deir Ala um, inscriptions. You can Google it under Balaam inscriptions and you'll find it. But so what happened is in 1967, archaeologists in Jordan, they discovered this temple, right? And it's, it's not a Hebrew temple. It's not a Jewish temple. Um, and they say it's dated between 840 BC and 760 BC. Now that's much later than when would have been Balaam and the, the Israelites situation. Okay. But, so in the temple, they find an inscription that mentions Balaam. So it's a plaster that has fallen off the wall. And then when they put it all back, to, well, they didn't put it all back together. But they reconstructed a lot of it. And it's an Aramaic um, inscription. And in fact, 
I believe it's one of the oldest or the oldest Aramaic inscription ever found. Oh, yep. So um, the discovery turns out to be the oldest example of Aramaic literature in the world. And it was dedicated to none other than the seer of the gods, Balaam son of Beor. So the inscription is painted in red and black on fragments of the temple on the plaster of the wall. It has 119 pieces of these plasters that they had to like put back together. But part of the inscription is called the misfortunes of the book of Balaam, son of Beor. I love it, the misfortunes. So, and it starts, a, a diviner see, seer was he, the gods came to him at night. And so if you go to chapter 23, you're going to find out that Balaam was kind of a tricky guy, but no matter what, he, he couldn't verbally curse the Israelites like the king wanted him to. Um, now the, the temple, like I said, it's not a Hebrew temple. So, and they believe it's dedicated to a different goddess. So once again, that it's that weird contention of Balaam has like supernatural prophetic abilities, but this temple isn't even connected with the God, the God that he said he knew. So, but we already know that it's weird, right? Like Balaam was not, Balaam's relationship with God was not good, but Balaam had a gift and that will mess with you probably for the rest of the day. But you know what? God, character, character is not the same as your gifting, right? So, um, but anyways, they believe that it may have been a school of prophets. Um, and then that's why so many years later, right? Like a thousand years later, you still have this inscription because there was a school of the prophets and it, it would be similar to like um, Elisha and Samuel had developed school of the prophets. Um, and you'll find that in the book of the first and second Samuels and first and second Kings. All right. So anyways, I always think that is cool when you can get that type of connection. And it does also support because there's theories that people would say that Balaam came from Syria and other people are like, no, he came from Jordan. And then that supports the Bible where um, if we go back to Numbers 22, verse 5, the messengers to Balaam at Pithor on the river in the land of the Ammonites, but he's taking them back to near the Transjordan area. All right, guys, I hope you've enjoyed today. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, please send it my way. And then, or you can even email me, thearchaeologynerd at gmail.com. If you have a story or a scripture that you want on the show, the your what in the Bible moment, hey, let me know. Have a great day, guys.